I'm Aaron Reynolds, and you're listening to Explain Like I'm Five on the Canada 2020 Network. The 2020 Network is brought to you by Interact. Interact connects everyone to the limitless possibilities of digital payments. Whether you are sending, receiving, or requesting money, using Interact Debit to pay by card, phone, or smartwatch, or looking for a business payment solution, they provide fast, convenient, and secure access to your own money. I like to think that I'm an intelligent guy, but I know way more about John Wick than I know about John Diefenbaker, and that's kind of a problem. So on this show, I'm inviting really smart people into the studio to explain stuff to me like I'm five. Today I have with me Solomon Friedman, a a criminal defense lawyer and the co-author of the only text about firearms law in Canada. Hi there. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this very rainy day. (laughs) It's my pleasure. Well, it's better to be inside than outside. Yeah, that's right. In the wake of uh, the uh, the recent uh, shooting in Toronto and uh, conversations about uh, gun violence, uh, people have been talking about uh, making changes to how guns are regulated in Canada. And I was thinking about it, and I am not even aware of how one goes about buying a gun in Canada. I'm a, I'm a city guy. I have been my entire life. I can't conceive of, like, I can't think of a time that I saw a place where I could buy a gun. And when I think about the United States, I think about, um, you know, going into like a, a sporting goods store or something like that where they have a gun counter. And um, I just I don't know what that looks like in Canada. And so can you describe for me what the process is for buying a gun in Canada? Sure. So we have to remember that the baseline status is that it is illegal to possess a gun in Canada, any firearm. Uh, You can receive an exemption to that crime, and that comes in the form of a license. So if you do not have a license, it's a criminal offense for you to either possess or to acquire a firearm. Okay. So the question then is, how do you get that license? Right. Um, And it is an involved process. It's slightly different if you're acquiring a long gun, meaning a rifle or a shotgun versus a handgun, but the uh, many of the steps are the same. So I'll walk you through that. You decide, um, you know, you want to take up hunting or you want to take up target shooting. Uh, you want a gun. Yeah. So the first thing that you need to do is you need to take the Canadian Firearms Safety Course. Uh, if you're just interested in long guns, it's a one-day course. If you're interested in handguns as well, it's a two-day course. So about uh, 15 hours of instruction, uh, and at the end, there is an exam that, hand, that goes over uh, the legalities. It's a multiple-choice test, as well as a practical handling test, meaning you are scored on whether or not you can safely manipulate a firearm. Can you do it without presenting a danger to yourself or others? Can you load, unload, store, carry, etc.? All the sort of basic functions of, of actual practical firearms use. So uh, if you pass, uh, if you get over 80%, that's our, our passing grade. It's not a 50% okay. exam here. Yeah. So you need a, what's that, a B or so uh, <laughs> yeah. in order to move on. Okay. Um, then you are eligible to now apply for a license. So you take the results of your test and you fill out a firearms license application. Um, on that, you have to answer, first of all, a detailed set of questions about your personal history. That covers everything from have you had a bankruptcy, have you had a mental health episode, depression, alcohol, drug use, uh, you know, violent encounters, and that's obviously self-reporting. Right. Uh, any of those that you check yes on, expect to provide a detailed explanation. Um, you then need two references. 
who've known you for a considerable period of time, they will be called and asked about your mental health status, asked about uh, your temperament, whether or not you're suitable to own firearms. Uh, if you have an intimate partner or have had an intimate partner in the past five years, so even uh, you may be happily divorced, you're going to need your ex-wife or ex-husband's uh, go ahead in order to get a firearm. Wow. Uh, and okay. if you need to get them to sign off on it, they don't sign off on it, it it's going to be very difficult for you to get a license. You then submit that, and of course, we don't just take your self-reporting at, at face value. The RCMP then runs a series of background checks on you uh, through the ordinary police database to check for convictions, but they check for more than convictions. They actually check police intelligence reports. They check histories of acquittals. You know, if somebody was acquitted, uh, but their behavior still raises a public safety concern, if they ever have restraining orders in the family court, if they've ever been the subject of an order for mental health reasons, what we call a Mental Health Act form, in other words, have you been confined in a psychiatric facility for any period of time, 24 hours uh, or any period of time on a doctor's order or a justice of the peace's order, all of that is thoroughly checked. Uh, it takes a minimum of 28 days from the time you submit your application to the time the RCMP looks at it. That's what we call the cooling off or the waiting period. Okay. Um, so you're probably, by the way, remember when you took that test? Yeah. It, it was probably about two, three months ago before okay. uh, you can expect to get an answer on your firearms application. Now, you may be approved to get a firearm, but often, uh, either based on your own self-reporting or based on checks that have come up, uh, you have to answer additional questions or sometimes, you know, contest the decision in court if you are denied a firearms license. But if you get through all of that, uh, then you are issued a license. And it, it, it's also important to remember that these licensing, it's not a one-time event. You will be checked through a database every 24 hours. Every day, a check will be run on every license holder in Canada, and there's about two, two plus million of them okay. across the country, to ensure that new hits have not arisen on either the criminal court side or the mental health or the family law side right, right, right. Um, that would give rise to a concern. So once you get that license, uh, you are now uh, in a position to acquire the class of firearms that you are licensed to own. Whew. Yeah, I'm tired just yeah, talking about yeah. it. So uh, there's a couple of things you talked about there that I want to talk more about. So that's a fascinating idea that like you could end up in in court for something and within 24 hours have been flagged and then what would happen your your license would be revoked potentially or it would be like investigated or Probably both. So uh, in Canada, there's a database called FIP, F-I-P, Firearms Interest Police. And that means that a police officer from their mobile data terminal in their cruiser can put you on that list. Maybe they have a weird traffic stop with you. Yeah. You know, this guy is strange. In other words, you're never arrested. You're certainly not charged uh, or detained. But the police officer gets a really hinky feeling. Yeah. Uh, and that gets forwarded off to your local representative, the chief firearms officer. Uh, you know, with the Ottawa police, we have a liaison officer who's responsible for investigating the licenses of, of, of everyone living in our area. Uh, they have them in every every major area in, in, in the country, every province, certainly. Um, and it can result in any number of steps. It might be just a police officer calling with some questions. Right. Um, it might be somebody who wants to do more than that. And, and you have to understand, under, under the Firearms Act, firearms officers have considerable powers. Uh, they can ask to inspect your firearms without warrant for any reason. All they have to do is give you reasonable notice, and you have to show them the firearms you own, how they're stored, they, they can meet you. And if you don't cooperate with that investigation, that's uh, on its own grounds to uh, revoke your firearms license. Right. Phew. You know, we take it seriously yeah, in yeah, Canada. Yeah. And the reason for that is, you know, you started off by talking about the United States. Well, the Supreme Court of Canada has said very clearly 
Firearms ownership is not a right in Canada. Mm-hmm. It is a well-regulated privilege. So we proceed on that basis, and we have a very robust system of controls based on you know public safety uh, and, and essentially ensuring that firearms in the legal stream uh, stay in the right hands. Okay. Um, I was also fascinated by the uh, – you were talking uh, way back – about uh, a long gun versus a, a handgun, and the handgun being a, a longer process for the the tests is is one of those considered like a more uh, is one of them a more difficult weapon to obtain? Yeah, so you have to understand uh, when it comes to getting a long gun, meaning a rifle or a shotgun, uh, you pass, you go through this this procedure, you get licensed, and then there are relatively few restrictions on the use of it. Obviously, you can't use it in a criminal or offensive way, but you can take it out into the bush. You can go hunting with it. Um, You can use it for pest control or target shooting. Uh, Handguns are completely different. Uh, In Canada, in order to obtain a handgun, so you remember you're going for that license, when when if you're just applying for rifles and shotguns, you don't need to tell anybody why you want one. But in order to obtain a handgun in Canada, you need to fit into one of three approved purposes, and there are no others. So you have to be either a target shooter, Mm -hmm. meaning you participate in recreational target shooting at an approved club or range. Uh, Alternatively, you have to be a collector, and the chief firearms officer will verify whether or not you're a collector. So if you check off collector they're going to come see your collection well yeah Yeah, what do you have of historical you you know value what do you what do you you have that's interesting how do you store them okay Uh, collectors are are often inspected by the chief firearms officer and the third one is for protection of life Um, there are very few of those issued in canada we're not talking about a concealed carry context like we do uh, in the united states Um, examples of individuals who get those permits are people who are trappers uh, surveyors in really remote areas okay where it would be impractical to have a long gun for defense against wildlife you know against a cougar or a grizzly bear. Uh, Those are very tightly regulated where you can use them. Um, By far, the vast majority of people who own handguns in Canada qualify under the target shooter route. Right. Um, And and so that actually, that ties into a a question that I really wanted to ask. Once you have a, a gun, what are you allowed to do with it? The real way to, I think, to approach that question is what can't you do with it? Okay. So first of all, you cannot store it in a method that's contrary to the regulations or otherwise careless. Uh, Any firearm in Canada must be stored securely when it's not in use, and it is a criminal offense not to do so. And the law makes no distinction as to whether or not you live in a condo with 2,000 units in downtown Toronto, or if you live in an abandoned shack in the middle of rural Alberta without a neighbor for hundreds of kilometers. So it's not a defense to say, nobody lives near me, I I don't have kids, or I I don't have other people living with me. So if it's a rifle or shotgun, the firearm has to be unloaded, when it's stored, and it has to be somehow securely disabled, either by a trigger lock or in a cabinet or by having an integral part of it, like the bolt removed and stored elsewhere. Okay. Um, when it comes to a handgun, uh, generally speaking, the rules for storage are twice as serious. So in other words, it has to both be trigger locked and it has to be locked in a cabinet or it has to be locked in a secure safe, right? Not, not a container, a safe, um, otherwise, it needs to be both trigger locked and locked. So that's how storage works. Transportation is also tightly regulated. Hand, uh, sorry, shotguns and rifles, they can be transported provided that they are unloaded. Okay. And that sort of makes sense because, you know, often you, you might be driving around your farm, you might be driving to a hunting location. Uh, it simply needs to be unloaded. Uh, and 
Where can you use a rifle or shotgun? Well, anywhere where it's legal to discharge it. So in, in most municipalities, most municipalities have bylaws against firearms discharge. You can't discharge a firearm, for example, in the city of Ottawa, except in certain rural portions. Ottawa's really large, we know. It's an amalgamated city. So there are actually p- places in Ottawa that are very rural. We have farms in Ottawa. We have hunting uh, that's legal in certain places in the city of Ottawa. Um, handguns are different, though. Uh, handguns can only be discharged at an approved shooting range. You cannot take a handgun into the bush and go, you know, target shooting, go hunting with it. Uh, You can only take it to an approved shooting range. Handguns are also really tightly regulated in where you can transport them. It is a criminal offense in Canada. You can have all the licenses. Your handguns are registered to you. You can only transport it to an approved place, meaning to a shooting range, to a gunsmith, to a gun store, or to a border crossing in your province. For example, let's say you might be going to compete in the United States. Right. So if you are pulled over and you have a handgun and you're not going to one of those places... You've broken the law. You've broken the law. And handguns must be transported with a trigger lock in a locked box in a place that is out of reach of the driver. Right? Okay. So no one's so like the trunk or the, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if you have a trunk, if, if depending on the on the make of vehicle, it has to be away. So no one's carrying handguns in Canada. No one's wearing them around. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is not part of how handguns can be legally used in Canada. So I, I, th- I think you you get the idea here that even once you get that license, even once you're approved to own firearms, even the use of firearms is very tightly controlled in Canada. This is a lot of information to take in. <laughs> yeah, so uh, and, yeah. And you can imagine that, that if you're thinking about getting into owning firearms, you're thinking about getting into hunting, it is a, aside from the moral responsibility that comes with safely using firearms, just remaining in the law is a very it's, serious it's concern. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, and it's it's not like it's, you know, there like I said, there are two million plus gun owners. Uh, that means that each of them are subject to criminal sanction if they deviate from that in even the most minute manner. I wanted to ask about what what is allowed and what is not allowed in terms of guns in Canada where are where are the lines what are what are we allowed to have and what are we just not allowed to have at all yeah that's a great question so uh, in Canada firearms are classified into one of three categories non-restricted restricted and prohibited so uh, non-restricted are most rifles and shotguns uh, restricted are handguns. So when I talked about that enhanced level, those are for handguns, and there are a number of rifles. So either rifles are classified that way, like the AR-15. Some people may be familiar with that. Right. In Canada, even though the AR-15 in many ways is a rifle and, and ought to be regulated um, by the letter of the law as a non-restricted firearm, it's actually designated as a restricted firearm, so you have to go through the entire process that you would for a handgun, uh, and the same use restrictions apply to an AR-15. The third category is the prohibited category. And the prohibited category, well, as it sounds, those firearms are prohibited. Anybody who is new to the system cannot acquire them. So, for example, uh, that includes fully automatic firearms since 1968. Those are guns. A fully automatic firearm means you pull the trigger and it fires until the magazine is empty. Those are prohibited in Canada. There are very few of them in legal hands because the exception to the prohibited category is if at the time the law passed, you were licensed, the firearm continued to be registered, then you are grandfathered in. Um, Now, even for those very few people who are grandfathered in, very few collectors out there, they can't do anything with those guns. Those guns cannot leave a person's home. They can't be shot anywhere. They can't be shot at the range. They cannot be used. Right. They can uh, continue to own them, but that's it. Correct. And you can't pass them on, meaning uh, when you die, uh, that license dies with you. 
Um, there's a there there's an exception for certain types of handguns of historical value that are otherwise prohibited that can be passed on. But the vast majority, you know, we understand the current owners will own them, and then they will either go to the police for forfeiture. Um, the only other users of those firearms legally are people who have like cinematic licenses they're used on movie sets uh, for example uh, they're used uh, for military training police training that kind of thing but otherwise they're prohibited so you have fully automatic you then have converted automatic those are guns that used to be fully automatic but were converted to semi-auto only also prohibited Uh, you then have short barreled handguns any handgun in canada with a barrel shorter than 4.2 inches is prohibited Okay. Um, unless you were grandfathered to own it, and it's been prohibited since the 90s, uh, you cannot acquire it. New ones cannot come into the system. So that's another thing to remember about all prohibited firearms. They cannot be imported into the country by civilians. Obviously, the military and the police, it's different, uh, but they cannot enter the system. No new ones uh, can come in. And then there are a number of rifles, other firearms that have been designated as prohibited. So, for example, the AK-47 or the Uzi, even the semi-automatic variants, uh, those have been designated uh, as prohibited and cannot be owned by, by anyone except people who are grandfathered. And even those people who are grandfathered, those con- guns cannot be transported. They can't be shot at a range. They can basically go to a gunsmith uh, or go back to a dealer to be sold, but they cannot be used. And so I also wanted to ask about with licenses. I, I was thinking about a driver's license where you have to, uh, as you get older and, uh, for instance, your eyesight uh, starts to get worse, you have to take driver's tests to requalify more frequently. Uh, do you requalify for for gun ownership? So the license is valid for a period of five years. It okay. has to be renewed every five years. And if it's not renewed at five years, in other words, you own your guns legally, that five year comes along, it's your birthday, by the way, so happy okay. birthday, and you don't renew it, you are now committing a criminal offense with respect to possessing every single firearm. You must take active steps to renew it, submit a new application, uh, answer any questions. Sometimes new concerns pop up. In other words, they're going to say when you know they do an enhanced check when you renew your license, they have some concerns. Um, it's not linked, you know, it's not like like age, but there are there are many steps along the way where public safety concerns will affect your licensing status. So let's say you're having a real bad day, and uh, you know your neighbor didn't take his garbage cans back in for a couple of days. And it's really ticking you off. And you have words with him. Yep. He calls the police and says, look, my, my neighbor's a gun owner. And uh, I think he's, he's kind of off his rocker. Uh, you can expect a police officer at your door. You can expect an investigative process. So, you know, it's not like a one and done when it comes to your to your license validity. Um, any public safety concerns will trigger an investigation and a potential revocation of your license. So all of this leads to the question of, um, you know, what happened in Toronto? How does something like that happen with all of these restrictions and regulations in place? Yeah, so the answer is that we're having a completely different conversation when it comes to uh, how the shooting in in Toronto happens, uh, the Danforth, or how gang shootings happen. And the answer is that those guns, the vast majority of them come from outside the legal stream. So in other words, they don't involve a licensed individual, they don't involve someone inside that process, and they don't involve a gun that was ever in the legal stream at all. Um, It appears now, and we're in early days on the Danforth shooting, relatively speaking, but by all indications, the individual uh, in question did not have a license. 
He never would have qualified to have a license, given what we know about both, by the way, mental health history, and even residing in the same home as a gang member. That, that would be more than enough uh, to keep somebody from ever getting a license. And the gun, it appears, was smuggled in from the United States. Uh, we have to remember that you know firearms are like any other prohibited commodity in Canada. I'm a criminal defense lawyer, and so that's the only way reason that I know that you can buy cocaine and heroin and fentanyl uh, you know, with relative ease if you have the money, because prohibition generates an illicit market, and there is a thriving illicit market for firearms in Canada. Uh, I've testified about this before Parliament. The, the usual markup, if uh, a legal gun owner could buy a Glock for $500, you usually multiply that by eight or ten times. You look between $4,000 and $5,000, wow. and you buy it illicitly, which of course compensates the gun smugglers for their risk, um, but those guns are available. Uh, they are not, generally speaking, being diverted from the legal stream, nor are these crimes being committed by law-abiding gun owners, which, which really takes us to where do we go next in terms of policy, right? Because, you know, any discussion about violence uh, anywhere in Canada is a good thing. We should be looking inward and saying, how does something terrible like this happen? Uh, and we saw in the wake of the Danforth shooting this knee-jerk reaction, we need to ban handguns. Well, whenever I'm looking at a potential policy suggestion, I always ask myself a simple question. If that law was in place, would the tragedy have happened? So here, it's, it's obvious. If handguns were absolutely banned in Canada, the exact same sequence of events would have happened. That gun would be unaffected by that ban. Right, because I was just thinking about what you were saying earlier. It was already illegal for him to have the weapon. Right, and, and yeah. that, that's, a, that's a running theme, not with all firearms offenses. There's no question that there are the occasional licensed individual who commits uh, you know, firearms offenses, even heinous firearms offenses. I saw an interesting uh, study recently that uh, showed that your, if you take your possession acquisition license holder, that's what we call a gun license in Canada, and you compare them to just the average citizen on the street, statistically, the firearms licensor the firearms license holder, rather, is much more likely to be law-abiding, which makes sense. They're pre-selected from a group. They're pre-screened. They're background-checked every day. Uh, they're drawn from a pool of the law-abiding. Look, everybody, you know, everyone who commits a crime starts out as law-abiding, but, but firearms licensors, license holders have been pre-qualified. So, you know, they are, generally speaking, a safer population. So when we have this discussion and, and the the, the the reaction is to go to, you know, let's shut down shooting ranges in the city of Toronto. Let's shut down gun stores. You know, I, I ask myself, I say, you know, what about the mental health issues? What about the criminality issues? Why, why do kids join street gangs? Where, what about addiction, poverty, mental health, disenfranchisement? Now, the trouble is those are really tough problems to grapple with. It's much easier for Parliament to pass a bill saying, you know how you had to add two locks on that handgun? Well, now you have to have three. Right. And you want it in one case, now it's got to be in two cases. Oh, look, we've done something about firearms violence, about gun safety, when really you haven't targeted the core cause of crime. So it's really important to separate out those, that, those discussions, you know, the, the legal stream, but the illicit stream, and ask yourself, you know, where are these uh, guns coming from and what's the source of this gun crime? Just hearing about all this stuff, I think about how outraged uh, people who are advocates for uh, for gun ownership in the United States would be at, uh, I, I'm going to say, like every part of this process. Um, how How is it that we're so different? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting. I actually look at it from the other way. I, I look at it from the gun control proponent side in Canada, in the United States. Mm -hmm. And I would say, imagine you snapped your fingers and tomorrow the United States had all the laws that Canada does when it comes to gun ownership. 
Well, they just, that would be the end. They, in their wildest dreams, they couldn't imagine a regulatory scheme as robust as ours is right. in Canada, right? And in fact, if you go and look at, like, what are they asking for, they, they, they wouldn't even approach uh, trying to seek the type of controls that we have on firearms in Canada. So that should give you an idea of how shifted the debate is between our two countries. Uh, you know, and there, of course, there are constitutional reasons for that. There are historical and social reasons for that. You know, in the United States, you have a country that won its independence through war. You know, the, the citizen soldier defending, right. you know, the, the newborn country against your tyrannical overlords, uh, you know, in, in the United Kingdom. Uh, and that leads to a Second Amendment that guarantees, as the Supreme Court has found in modern times, the United States Supreme Court has found a personal right to own firearms for self-defense. So all of a sudden you can see that guns are linked to not just culture and heritage, but to national and personal self-defense. Now, that's very different in Canada. In, in Canada, we don't have a right to own firearms, and that's because we don't have that same historical heritage. We asked nicely, and in 1867, we got our independence, right? And, yep. you know, may, maybe you catch more flies with honey, but that, that's, that's our history. Now, it's actually very curious if you go back to the early days. Uh, our first prime minister, John A. Macdonald, was a big proponent, actually, for a right to own guns. And this was a debate that, that, that continues to this day as to whether or not there ought to be one in Canada. But there's no debate as to whether there is one. And the answer is there is not one. So that means that our culture in Canada is more focused on the responsible and legal uses of guns. So you have a, a very strong hunting culture. Mm -hmm. uh, you, have a, you also have a rural culture where a gun is a tool. Right? It's no different than having a hammer in your, in your tool shop or you know, having wrenches to repair your car. Having guns is a part of rural life, whether it's for you know, uh, pest control, whether it's for occasional hunting, you know, whether it's for defense against uh, predators in, in a rural setting. And we also have a very robust shooting sports culture. Quite aside from hunting, uh, there are you know, significant competitors in Canada, both in the civilian-type disciplines um, and in the military-type disciplines. In, in, in Ottawa, for example, uh, Canadian Forces ba Base Connaught is the national range, and we host every year the Canadian Armed Forces Small Arms Competition, where both military um, and civilian classes compete. Uh, using firearms. It's actually very interesting. When the this this will tell you a little bit about culture and, and, and how we have a little bit of that national self-defense heritage. Uh, when firearms were being classified back in the 90s and the AK-47 and the Uzi were being prohibited, uh, there were many voices to prohibit the AR-15. Okay. And the AR-15 is a semi-automatic, meaning it's not fully automatic, but it's a look-alike of what our soldiers use. Uh, the C7 or the C8, it looks like it. And Canada has had a very long heritage, going back to 1867, of civilians training with the same or similar rifle that our military uses. And we have, for example, the Dominion of Canada Rifle Association. It's not like the NRA. It's not a lobby group. It's actually a target shooting group, and they have branches in every single province. Um, they hold competitions. And it was, it was said that we have this long tradition of civilians being able to drill with a similar rifle uh, that the military uses for sporting purposes. And that's how the AR-15 was saved to be given restricted uh, Rather than prohibited. In other words, so it can be used for target shooting, but for nothing else. Okay. It's, it's, it's regulated as tightly as a handgun, but it's not outright prohibited. So in Canada, automatically, the culture centers around the use of firearms uh, you know, for some valid sporting purpose or for a collector uh, type purpose. And, and that, in, in, in some ways, it really moderates the gun debate here. 
right? Because most people who are having a policy discussion are having it on a, on a really rational basis, right? In other words, they say, look, empirically, in Canada, the availability of firearms in civilian hands has not been a major factor in public safety or public health issues. In other words, our system works relatively well. Um, it's it's a different debate in the United States because they come at it from a rights-based perspective. In other words, th- I have this is my right, right? I have a fundamental right. Now justify any restriction. I mean, if you look at the, the language of the Second Amendment, Second Amendment, Second Amendment says the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. In other words, every infringement has to be justified. We have a very different balance in Canada, which leads to a much more moderate debate. Now, I don't, I don't like to look down my nose at the Americans. And, and, and like I said, it comes from a different history. Mm-hmm. We don't have their history. If we did, we, we'd be in the same boat. But the, the end result is very different. Fascinating. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. This has been a... Uh, I have learned, I think, more in the last 20 minutes or so uh, than I have all month. And so so thank you so much for, for coming here and, and helping me with that. Um, where can people find you on the internet? I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, I, I am occasionally on Twitter, at Solomon Friedman. Uh, you can also find me at uh, edelsonlaw.ca, and I maintain a firearms law information website at firearmslaw.ca. The 2020 Network is brought to you by Interact. Interact connects everyone to the limitless possibilities of digital payments. Whether you are sending, receiving, or requesting money, using Interact Debit to pay by card, phone, or smartwatch, or looking for a business payment solution, they provide fast, convenient, and secure access to your own money. 